10.37 a.m. First Monday in November. Season two of the Bearded Carcast is here. We're off to Nashville. The home of country music. And Vanderbilt University. We're back in the car. Winthrop at Vandy. Tuesday night, start of college basketball season. Mike, do you know the story of Vanderbilt University? Um, I do not know the story of Vanderbilt University, but I have a feeling I'm about to hear it. The Methodists wanted to start. Yeah. Oh, well, hey, we haven't gotten a car accident yet. We, we, we just, <laughs> we barely left the Winthrop Coliseum. It was, it was close. No, not that close. Not I've bad. been in closer scrapes than that before. I mean, I made the first left turn. We've only got yeah. 414 miles to go. My life just flashed before my eyes <laughs> as that white car flashed in front of us. Is it scary that we just had a discussion before we got in the car about going to the emergency I know, room? I know, I know. So the Methodists yes. wanted to start a college in around the Civil War period. Yes. And they didn't have the money to do it. Oh. And Cornelius Vanderbilt, who had never been to the South, yeah. ponied up a million dollars, oh. which is $20 million in today's money. Yeah. And that created the endowment to begin Vanderbilt University. And then, several decades later, there was a fight because the Methodists wanted to keep power and it went to the Tennessee state court system and they said, no, the, the colonel is the one that oh, founded this yeah. school. You have no power. And they kicked the Methodists out. Really? Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. It's the only private school in the SEC. It's the only SEC school that Winthrop has never played against. Yeah. And it has the smallest undergraduate enrollment in the SEC by a factor of two. 6,500 undergrads at Vandy and over 12,000 at Ole Miss. Wow, that's pretty good uh, Pretty good numbers right there. And Nashville is... Nashville's a, a great town. A great town. A great town. So it should be a fun trip. We're leaving a day early. Yes. I think that's justified. Justified because we want to see and eat and enjoy some Music City. And hopefully we'll see some music tonight. And I want to check out Ryman Auditorium and maybe the Grand Ole Opry and the venue that Vanderbilt plays in, Memorial Coliseum, is a very historic place that's kind of unorthodox. Right. The floor is actually raised, uh, of the, the playing surface is raised above... I don't know, a couple feet above uh, the seating area. So the, the benches are actually below the court, which is what we've come to see in NCAA tournament right. Final Four games. Except the benches are on the baseline. Yes, here they're on the baseline, right. Which, according to Vanderbilt, was normal when the facility was built in the 50s. Hmm. But I have seen plenty of other venues that are very old and I don't ever remember seeing that before. I don't ever recall seeing that either. Now, I did a BC game there like in 1995, Ted Sarandis and Bill Eben. And BC, uh, similar to this, played, uh, I want to say it was like an 8 o'clock or a 9 o'clock game. And the, the interesting thing is, and I don't know if it looks this way from the court, I don't remember, but I just remember feeling the broadcast booths were up high and it felt like you were in like the bridge of a ship. 
Yeah. Looking did, down on the court. Did you know, I don't know if it's Vanderbilt or someone else, but they refer to it as the Fenway Park of college basketball? I've never heard that. <laughs> Do you agree? I mean, no, it's old. No, no it's old. It's well, a- I'd have to, I tell you what, ask me that um, at about 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Okay. Um, their attendance has really dwindled. They were in the 13, 14, 15,000 a game for a long time. And the last three, four years, they've been under 10,000. Yeah. Which is still large, but but not what it once was. We've got a new car this year for the, yes, pa- the yes, car cast. Yes, this is great. Well, it's, it's great in the first mile that we've taken yeah. it. I'll, I'll let you know in 400 and some how, how great it is. But uh, You know that feeling you have when you leave the house and you feel like you left the iron on? Yeah. I'm not sure I left my car. Really? Do you want to go back? I think we need to go back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we made it all the way what to make, McDonald's on, on Cherry Road. Yeah. And now we need to double back. Well, I'm not sure I shut the door either. Because I was like ferrying stuff back and forth. And then I think we just we were so excited to get started. <laughs> so our, our, our six hour and fifteen minute drive. Yeah, yeah it just became a sixteen six hour six and hour twenty, and 20 minute, minute drive. drive. No, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we're we're doing a tour of Winthrop University. We made it out of the Coliseum. Now, for our friends that uh, have never been to Rock Hill to right. listen to the podcast. Right. So we, we we made it from the Coliseum. It's about a mile to campus. Yeah. And we now are gonna double back past the what I call the newer part of campus yes. where we have the West Center and the DiGiorgio Center and, and, and turn back around. Should we just do loops? Well, then it would take like eight hours. <laughs> Someone suggested we do the car guest in the car even out of season. This is this is season two. Maybe the new thing is just going to be uh, loops around the Winthrop University campus where it's raining this we morning. We could do that. We could do that. It is, it's a rare uh, rainy day here. It's been uh, relatively sunny here in the south for the most, except for the hurricanes. The hurricanes brought a lot of rain. But other than that, it's uh, it's been clear skies and Panthers football. A lot yeah. of excitement here locally for the Carolina Panthers. Of course, on Sunday, they had a really thorough uh, takedown of the Buccaneers, although I described it this way on the postgame show. It was like a four-hour flight where the first two hours, smooth sailing. The third hour of the flight got a little bumpy. And then the fourth hour, the, the pilots found the uh, smooth air and got the plane back to where it needed to go. Well, the Fitz magic was only present for a portion of the game. It turned out to be Fitz tragic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Bucks. Remember that conversation we had about six weeks ago about who the best team in yeah. the NFC South was and the Bucks yeah. were off that good start? Maybe there was a, a moderate degree of... of uh, overreaction to the first couple mm. weeks of the year. Yeah, no doubt. But, I mean, even yesterday's, or Sunday's game, which was yesterday, we're taping this on Monday, uh, they came in as the number one offense as far as total yards. And I think they were number two, they were number two, number one or number two in points scored, but they were also last in points allowed. Yeah, so and that trend pretty much th- maintained that made, itself. It maintained itself, right. I, they have offensive weapons, and Fitzpatrick is, you know, he reminds me of 
Vinny Testaverde kind of at the end of his career in Baltimore where he just kind of throw the ball up and one of the two teams was going to catch it. Yeah. You just weren't sure which one it was going to be. He's a gunslinger. He is a gunslinger. And, 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 you know, he also had kind of that closer mentality. I mean, after he threw that interception to Eric Reed, I mean, it didn't really slow him down any. Then he had the big interception to Dante Jackson, who's leading the NFL now with four picks at the end of the game, which really helped cement it. But how about the job James Bradbury did on Mike Evans? Mike Evans was targeted 10 times, Dave. He had one catch. That's amazing. Now, you watched the game more closely than I did because I was trying to watch a little of Pittsburgh and Baltimore, a little bit of Miami and the Jets. I forget what else I had in the rotation. But was that – how many of those 10 targets were – great defense how many were bad passes drops etc no I, I would say most of them I would put in the category of good coverage and I remember one where uh, it was kind of like a, an out route to the sideline and James Bradbury kind of recovered it I think he had been beaten by a step came over and just at the last second knocked the ball away he did that a couple of times so he's a guy that I'm not sure the public outside of the Panther no, fans they have no idea no who he is. so right. is he Josh Norman like what what is his niche is he a guy that three years from now two years from now the entire league is going to be talking about I think he is and, and when you look at what he's done against some of the top receivers uh that they've faced this year I mean did it now remember people will remember him for uh I think it was his rookie year three years ago when he got torched by Julio well not not fairly got torched Julio Jones torched the Panthers he was only in that game for like a quarter and got hurt uh, but he's continually done a good job against some of the top-name receivers in the league. And I think he is a guy, he's built a little bit similar to Josh Norman. He has kind of the same characteristics. He, he doesn't have the outward personality that Josh Norman had. But on the football field, there's a lot of similarities. Do you know what his contract situation is? Uh, no, I mean, he's still in the in the rookie deal. What he is so, now, yeah. is that for another year or two years? I think he still has another year on that, and then they have the chance for the option after that. This is, yeah, I believe, okay. his third year. So there's a little bit of time yeah. left. It's just those things are so interesting. When that guy is inexpensive, he's the most valuable Absolutely. player in the league. At the point in which you have to pay him, it becomes a big deal. And I think the Panthers at this point, you would have to say, were right on Josh Norman. You have to definitely say that, Dave, because he, he certainly didn't pan out to have the uh, – he hasn't had the career in Washington that I think Washington expected him. And remember, you and I talked about this uh, a lot. Uh, this was pre-bearded car cast days. What? Yes, yes. Pre-season one? Before we, before we talked about – or the good news is I did shut the door. Uh, I don't think I locked it, though. But we're back at back the Winter Coliseum. Coliseum. Yes. No, I, the reason why I thought it was a great move is because Josh Norman, when he came out of Coastal Carolina, I think was like 23 or 24. So I did not lock it. So this was a good move. Thanks, Dave. My golf clubs are safe. <laughs> All right, we're good. Keep, keep going. Season two of the Bearded <laughs> Carcast. We're off to Nashville. Do you know the story of No, Vanderbilt? I don't know the story. Why did you tell me what that story is? Um, but the reason why I thought it was a good move was, um, you know, corners, I think that's a tough age position where it's, you know, you got to be young, middle of your career. And now there are, we have seen some older guys that are able to play the cornerback position. I mean, Eric Reed's looking pretty good right now. Right. Well, corner is different than safety. That's true. But 
Boy, that does look like a great signing now, doesn't it? And it was... Uh, it not, was an obvious It was an obvious signing. signing. And there's been virtually no blowback. I, the other thing that I think was great for the Panthers, you mentioned the no blowback, is how, how do some of these other teams like Atlanta exactly look, Like, you know, if for a guy that, you know, look, whether you like what he did or not, he, he was thoughtful about it. It wasn't something that he's doing on a knee-jerk reaction. It's amazing to me that collusion can take place in a league where teams want to win so bad. There were only about 25 teams that could have used Eric yeah. Reed, and no one signed him for how, how many weeks? Five, six weeks? Yeah, I think it was four weeks. And but, now every team in the league, having seen very little blowback, understanding what he does on the field, would be happy to have him. I mean, I, I don't know. You tell under- me the Bills couldn't use Colin Kaepernick right now? Well, I mean, the Bills aren't trying to win. No, I know, but still. I mean, Colin Kaepernick might win a couple more games and not get them the number one pick. So I don't think that's a particularly good example. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jaguars. can use somebody not named Blake Bortles. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly teams. And I don't think Colin Kaepernick is a starting NFL quarterback right now. So the problem is, do you want to bring in that distraction as your backup? He's also a system guy. So if you don't already have a system that's kind of catered to him, you've got your starter that runs one offense, a backup who runs a different offense. But from a talent perspective, he is better than 20 quarterbacks in the league. So if you're trying to accumulate the best possible players, yeah, then then he should be out there. But uh, I just, I don't really understand the concept of we're not trying to bring in Eric Reed. I mean, the guy is good. No one ever suggested he's not good. No one ever said he's washed up. It was just the politics of it. Yeah. Where was it that he went that they asked him if he was going to kneel? Was at, it Cincinnati? I mean, you think they couldn't use him? I know. They're a playoff contender. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't but get it. But it also, I think it also took um, the right kind of owner. And David Tepper, obviously, you know, very wealthy, but also he's very secure in, in his beliefs and what he thinks about it and how he wants to run his franchise. And... They purposely went out and made a, a business decision, and they said it at the time, look, this is a business decision. You know, what he does on the side, is that's his own business, but we're, we're concentrating on winning games. And I think for the most part, when you mentioned the no blowback, I mean, yeah, there, there are some people that are probably writing letters and they're, they're ticked off that, that he's on the field, but how many people are like, yeah, but you know what, he had that interception <laughs> early in the game. You know, I, and he's, produ- he's productive, and he's, he's helped make that, that defense better. I mean – if you want to take a media example, and maybe this is too inside baseball, it's the Keith Oberman thing, right? Yeah. Keith yeah. Oberman is supremely talented. He's also very, very, very opinionated. Although not in the last, like, eight months. Because well, he, he kind of has curtailed warded off it a his little curta- bit. He's curt- I wonder if someone said to him, hey, listen, man, all this politics stuff is not helping you get jobs. Right. But he's always employed. I mean, he keeps getting yeah. fired, but he keeps getting employed again. Like, why wouldn't you want a talented person, particularly in the NFL where there are only X number of people who can actually do that job well. I I was watching Denver and Houston yesterday, and I was just thinking, how can these be two of the best 32 people to lead a football team? I mean, like, like both of those teams are, you know, kind of okay, pretty good, and, and it's like one boneheaded decision after another. I mean, it, it's hard not to look at Bill O'Brien and just laugh, and he's got a good team. Yeah, right. 
And, and there's a lot of that. So where do you think the Panthers are now? I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that the NFC pecking order is the Rams and the Saints at the top. Right. And maybe the Panthers I think, next or I think Minnesota put, or Philadelphia? I think you put Carolina. I mean, obviously, record-wise, you put Carolina next. Right. Uh, you know, and they've had some pretty good wins. I mean, yeah. they beat Philadelphia at Philadelphia. Right. Philly is not, I mean, they're they're not even in a playoff position right now. Well, in that Washington game, I mean, even though they fell behind, you can make the argument that was a, a game they had a chance to win and did not. So you, you, you could look at them right now as being 7-1 and one instead of 6-2. and two. Right, um, but you could also... But you could also make the argument of the Philly game they should have lost, so... Well, uh, yeah, they pulled at least one out of their backside, right. so... so you can make that argument. But, but that's kind of every team in the league, I mean... Now, I will say this. We had Mike Tolbert uh, on our post-game show yesterday, so Mike's... Uh, and he's awesome. He's so funny. Uh, but he's... You know, he's retired. He's out of the game now, and uh, the Panthers have brought him in to do some social media stuff, and he'll... I guess he'll do some you know, platform... Uh, those are the windshield wipers you're hearing, by the way. Yeah. Uh, we'll do some. Uh, this is, is the first rainy bearded car cast? I don't know. Uh, now it was overcast. Is that a bad Georgia. sign? No, don't say that. Come on. <laughs> hey, all I know is I was listening to another podcast the other day. And not the bearded car cast? Not the bearded car cast, a different podcast. There are others, though, we try not to acknowledge them. And they were talking about a trip. They had gone to uh, Athens yeah. to watch a football game and uh, went to Weaver D's. Oh, of course. They did one on our suggestion. Well, right? I'm sure they listened, and, and that's yeah, where they that's got exactly the idea. that's exactly why they got the idea. Go to Weaver D's. No, I, think, I do think the Panthers, Dave, are, are, if they're not top three, they're definitely top five in the, in the NFC. And what's scary, what Mike Tolbert was telling us um, after the game on the postgame show with Sharon Thorsland and I, he feels like this team hasn't even really – hit their stride yet and that they still have they're still young players and that's the sentiment obviously Marty Herney had when he talked to us on the post game show that you know the, the sentiment in the building is that they still have room to get better and they're pretty good right now so that's, that's I feel be like if they were in the AFC and, and I know that the, the kind of narrative is that Kansas City and New England right. have Push themselves above everyone else. But you know, else. they've matched up well with New England over the last couple of years. I think the fourth, fifth, sixth best teams in the NFC, the Phillies, the Minnesotas, the Carolinas, I think they are just as good as New England, just as good as Kansas City. And when you look at the next group in the AFC, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, yeah. well, when Baltimore came to Charlotte, Panthers did a number on them. Yeah. And they and they have Pittsburgh on uh, on Thursday night, so that's going to be, uh, you know, that's that's a good measuring stick game. It's going to the only the only, I guess the one out you have whether you're Pittsburgh or Carolina is you can come out of that game and say, well, it was a short week. they didn't play well. Oh, it was a sure. short week, and um, but I asked Mike Tolbert. I said, uh, I said, look, when you're preparing for a game like this, I mean, you don't have a lot of time to do put all the bells and whistles and all the wrinkles in. So how much are you? Maybe subliminally preparing for Pittsburgh, even though you're preparing for Tampa Bay. You know, in, in other words, you know, continue to build on stuff. And he said, "Yeah, you know, that's true. You know, basically, you know, you're, you're a you're trying to get rest, you're trying to recover. You know, a lot of um, a lot of the preparation for these Thursday games. You know, they'll do their walkthroughs and they'll do some physical stuff, but basically, it's all mental reps and making the tweaks and the adjustments. You know, and we see that with basketball, uh, particularly when you play in a tournament. I mean." You know, when you get you know third game into the tournament, uh, fourth game into you know 
even though it's a conference and you've seen teams a lot, you know, there's still wrinkles you, you put in. So there's still, even though, you know, when you when you're working on a short time, you're always going to put in some wrinkles and you get mental reps. But Pittsburgh's a five and a half point favorite in that game, meaning on a neutral field, right. it would be Pittsburgh minus two and a half. Hmm. I, if you believe, like I do, that the NFC is better than the AFC, and you're talking about third, fourth, fifth best teams, AFC versus third, fourth, fifth best team in the NFC, I, I think the Panthers are the value pick there. Well, let me reverse the question on you. How, If you're Pittsburgh on a short week, how are you preparing for Cam Newton, Funches, Olsen, McCaffrey, Samuel, DJ Moore. I mean, that's a lot to prepare for. That might be true, but the Panthers have a much larger task trying to prepare for Antonio Brown, maybe the best receiver in the NFL. Ben Roethlisberger, one of the five or ten best quarterbacks in the NFL. And James Conner, who has done an unbelievable job with Le'Veon Bell out. Well, and the Panthers are uh, top five defense against the run. Yeah. Now, now the big th- and the- remember Roethlisberger at home is oh absolutely. scary. Now, now the one thing for the Panthers, can we get the cliche bell out? Uh, you know, I mean, it's going to boil down to the, the the offensive line, the offensive line versus the defensive line on both teams. Whoever whoever can give their quarterback you know the most time. And- I got to tell you, I believe the biggest difference with the Panthers this year over last year, and it's not close, is North Turner. Absolutely. I mean, you just see it in the play calling. You know, one of the best plays of the game yesterday, uh, and it's a game that's going to be on the highlight reel at the end of the year, was they did the double reverse where uh, you know Cam handed it off to DJ Moore, and then he reversed it uh, on the double reverse back to Curtis Samuel. And Curtis Samuel on the next-gen stats, the NFL next-gen stats, it was a 33-yard touchdown run. He ran 103 yards yeah. because you know he, he started uh, left, then he cut it back right, and then made its way into the end zone. The more you watch football and the modern game of football and you consult the analytics, it's so clear. Chris Collinsworth did a beautiful job talking about the Patriots last night against Green Bay, how you show one thing, you do something else, you consistently hit on one play that sets up another play. The creative offensive minds the Sean McVeigh's of the world are so unbelievably valuable that if you don't have an A-plus head coach who's offensive-oriented or an A-plus offensive coordinator, you're starting the game in a huge deficit. And Norv Turner has proven over a long period of time he can coach an offense. Well, Mike Tolbert, uh, I keep going back to Mike Tolbert when he talked to us yesterday, but he said, and he played for Norv in San Diego, he said that the genius... Of North Turner isn't. I mean, yes, it's putting the players in the right positions, coming up with these creative plays. But the next time the Panthers run that formation, do the double reverse, they'll have two or three other exactly. wrinkles on top of that. Exactly. And it, it's going to make it even more difficult to prepare for. What I think, though, Dave, is the biggest contribution that North Turner has is he's using all the weapons, right? So McCaffrey's being used both as as you thought he was going to be used as a uh, running back and as a receiver, and probably he's putting in Cam in better situations to be successful there's no question there's no question and i i I, it's not a slight on shula no but it's personnel but it's but it's also personnel though you know i mean curtis samuel was and i'm not defending my shula but good coaches get the most out of their players norv turner is operating this offense at the highest level it's been since when well don't forget 2015 they operated at a pretty high level so it's you know but a lot of that was how well Cam Newton played. And now, you know, Cam doesn't 
you know, we had Darren Gant from ProFootballTalk.com. Our buddy Darren was on. Uh, he's on with us every week on the post game show. I feel like I should be getting some residuals back from uh, all the advertising. You just for the keep name show. dropping. I do. <laughs> ding. <laughs> so Darren Gant, ding. Um, Sharon Thornsland. Sharon Thornsland, yeah, ding. Mike Tolbert, ding. Uh, Marty Herney, ding. He said that uh, Darren said that uh, Darren thinks that Cam is healthy enough to do the short medium stuff, but he feels like there's something, and this is just his opinion, that. Uh, you know, and we saw that in the Baltimore game when they had uh, Heineke come in to throw the Hail Mary. Yeah. And they, they ended up audible to the... That's an interesting point because a good defense is going to exploit that. A right, good well, defense... force you to go deep. Yeah. Right, so it'll be interesting to see when we get to that game. And, I mean, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, don't the Panthers play New Orleans twice in the final three weeks of the year? This is a gauntlet that they have to run through the last three weeks. They have New Orleans twice and Atlanta in the middle. Yeah. And, and the weird thing is those teams are not known for their defense, but Sean Payton can can get a team ready to go. Well, in that game yesterday, we had that on in the studio. It was interesting. There was at one point where I thought, okay, New Orleans is going to run away with this game. And then, you know, get in the car and it was, you know, 35 What all. does that tell you? Well, don't didn't... Uh, Rams had a comeback last week too, didn't they? Yeah, the Rams have been playing with fire the last yeah. few weeks, and they found a way to win. And then this week they played with fire and they fell well, fell way, way behind. Back, yeah. But then they battled back. They might be really good. Yeah. Not so much better than everyone else, but it seems to me when most teams have the B minus game, yeah. they lose. Right. Even the Patriots started the year a little bit slowly, dropped sure. a couple of games, sure. and now have gathered themselves. It seems to me the Rams started really strong, were unbeaten, played a couple of B minus sort of games, still found a way to win, and then played like the B minus game yesterday yeah. and got off the deck and started throwing haymakers, <laughs> and yeah, yeah they, they lost the game. New Orleans is one of the five best teams in the league, yeah. and they're playing at home. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't look at the Rams and go, yeah, they've got major problems. Yeah, I know their rush ends aren't getting to the quarterback right now. It's an offensive game. They have a dynamic offense. And my guess is, as Aqib Tlaib comes back, as the defense gets going, I think we talk about great minds. Their defensive coordinator has been there and done that for 50 years. Yeah. He's going to figure it out. Uh, like, I'm not telling you I take the Rams against the field. I certainly wouldn't. I think their path is going to be difficult because, A, I think the NFC is much better than the AFC, and, B, their home field advantage is not really significant if they're hosting playoff games. But I do think they have the best team. Rolling Hills of Route 5, York County. We're coming to you live. Bearded Car Cast. It's not actually live. It's Well, we are taping it live. Yeah, you're not, as you live. listen to this, it will have been, you know, a few hours already at the, at the minimum uh, in the can. But we are uh, we are live. We are rolling down <laughs> through York County here on Episode 1, Season 2 of the Bearded Car Cast. You know how the Masters has a limited commercial interruption? Yes, we do have limited. Th th yes. This will have limited editing. 
So yeah, yeah. it's essentially live. <laughs> it's live to tape. Yeah, is what they say. Hey, if you want to advertise on the Bearded Carcast, give us a shout out uh, on the email beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Of course, we know you're all following us on Twitter at Bearded Carcast. Yeah, we're seeking advertisers. We should do that. We should make I, a little coin. I want you to know, though, it's not just in the Bearded Carcast that we're seeking advertisers. I'm just in general right. seeking advertisers. If during well, we're still w- looking for interns. Uh, where is the intern? I thought we had someone that was going to drive with us today, and they decided in the dead of winter to take a trip to Madison, yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah, well, yeah. you can't win them all. Yeah, it's true, and we don't. All right, so we are getting ready for our first basketball broadcast. It'll be Tuesday night, 9.30 Eastern on uh, 104.1 The Bridge. We have and new affiliates this year. We have yes. the network. Yeah, I, the, I, I, I gotta take a uh, real hats the off game. Yep. to Matt Martin in the Winthrop Athletic Department. He used to work for Learfield. He believes in radio and he said the best way to do this radio network is to blow it out. Let's get some more affiliates. Let's get our sponsors behind it. And I said, yeah, you know, in the years I've been at Winthrop, I don't know that anyone's tried that. It's obviously an uphill battle. And he said, get out of my way. We're making this happen. And the partnership with Founders Federal Credit Union, the partnership with WRHI, and now with two new affiliates, it, it really is a great way to get that Winthrop name out there. Well, and folks can listen to us now in Charlotte on 730 The Game, which has a really good signal. Uh, and you can hear it in a lot of good spots. And then we're also in uh, Gaston County. Yeah, on WGNC in Gastonia, which sounds like a small niche market, except for the fact you can listen to the station in the Winthrop Coliseum parking yeah. lot and through parts of Charlotte as well. So now a few different places where you can catch the broadcasts and uh to me, you know, I, I think it's great for Winthrop. It's great for men's basketball. And, you know, on the rare occasion we plug the bearded car cast, yes. it, it's great cross-promotion. Definitely great. Well, we're all about synergy here. That's right. Now, I, I would not be against, though, getting a bearded car cast sign with a sponsor on that and just, you know, flapping it outside of the car for the 400 miles as we drive places. I mean, we, we could be your market for, for getting the name out. Small business, large business. If you cook something, we will happily taste it and eat it. And it, whatever it is, we can be on board with that. One of my favorite Matt Swearad stories. Matt is uh, my broadcast partner. Oh, I partner. love this story if it's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, Matt's my broadcast partner with the Charlotte Knights. Um, and before we moved uptown, he was responsible for uh, securing the visiting team hotel. And he also had to find a hotel for the umpires. And you can't put them in the same hotel because, you know, you don't want them running into each other, right? So... Uh, you know, at times things were a little lean down in Fort Mill, and so Matt, um, in order to secure the visiting team—oh no, I'm sorry—to secure the umpire hotel, he had to get magnets made up of the hotel <laughs> and slap it on his personal yeah. car, and he would drive to and from Statesville yeah. with the hotel on the yeah, side of his exactly. car. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, but that—that's creative, yeah. innovative thoughtful and works for all parties involved oh, and we're looking for a similar setup <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll slap it on the side of the the, yeah. car, the loaner car that we have yeah
exactly. Uh, so, that's awesome. So if, if you want to become a part of the show, yeah. listen, like, yeah. all of those things, and, and, and reach out. Beardedcarcast at Outlook.com. All right, so basketball season is here, and it's funny. I was talking to, uh, you know Stan Luter? Stan does a lot yeah. of, uh, yeah. So Stan was covering Panthers yesterday. I was talking to him, and he said, man, I'm, I'm not ready for basketball season. Are you? And it seems like we have this conversation annually, Dave, because it feels like the season kind of creeps earlier and earlier as far as games being played. And we're starting, what's tomorrow, November 6th. Um, We've talked about this in the past. I would kind of like to see, you know, maybe basketball get a little more separation from football and start a little bit later. But regardless, you know, we love basketball and it's here to stay. And meanwhile, there's a lot of great storylines in college football. It was a great weekend in college football with Alabama facing LSU and really kind of assert, dominant, yeah. asserting themselves. Right. Michigan At LSU, too. Yeah, Michigan dominating Penn State. Georgia asserting themselves and punching their ticket to the SEC title game with the win over Kentucky. But you're right. Duke plays Kentucky. The two favorites yeah. to win the men's basketball national title right. tomorrow night. And a niche audience is going to tune in and watch because it's in the heart of the NFL season. It's in the heart of the college football season. The NBA just started. The NHL is going on. It doesn't make any sense. We went into this in depth last season, except it was during the episode that failed to record. So <laughs> The so, lost episode. So yeah, so it's new to the audience yes. that listens right. to the program, not new to you and I. <laughs> I don't understand the way the system works. College football should operate from the end of August yeah. through New Year's, and then you play your national championship game somewhere right around New Year's Day. Maybe you play a semifinal there, whatever right, it is. Right. There has to be an eight-team playoff. We've talked this right. into the ground. I'm not going to go yeah. on for, for hours and hours on it, but the only fair way to do it is to have all five major conference champions get in, yeah. have a minor, a mid-major, a non-power five team get in so that you have your Cinderella and have two wildcard teams. Right. So set it up however you want to set it up, the dates and whether the teams get home games or buys or what, whatever way you want to get go about doing it. But you got to have at least those eight teams. You have to have the wild cards so that the SEC can get a second team if they deserve it or Michigan and Ohio State can go if they both deserve it, whatever it is. You have to have the little guy in there Set up the bracket however you want. Do all the other bowl games how you want. But college football season needs to go from August until late August, Labor Day weekend, whatever it is, until roughly January 1st. College basketball season then starts Right. right after the new year. Because you don't need to get in the way of the NFL. Right. You don't need to get in the way of college football. Now you've got college basketball running from January, February, March, April, and you're playing the national title game somewhere in May. College baseball starts right after college basketball, and now college baseball isn't dealing with the snow and the cold (laughs) weather in February and March. You run that through the summer and you've got a 12-month or maybe it's an 11-month calendar that works. And I understand 
students in class. It's a little bit more difficult because right. there aren't as many summer classes, but you can make it work. It's doable. And I don't understand why college basketball, who in a lot of ways is looked as the redheaded stepchild to college football, why they need to play second fiddle. We're just getting into the good stuff when it comes to college football. So college basketball is going to start and, you know, it, it, it's just these these rabid hoops fans like me that are into it. Everyone else just kind of picks it up in the late conference season of March Madness. Well, and I think as a time where the NFL is dwindling down and, and starting their playoffs, you know, wouldn't you want to see Kentucky, North Carolina play in the middle of the week exactly. in January? Exactly. You know, or, uh, you know, or, or maybe, you know, pick pick your matchup, you know, Kansas and UCLA and whoever it is. Um you know, I think those matchups would be more spotlighted. I think the other thing, David, is, I mean, isn't attendance generally, like, faltered or... Of course. Or, yeah. So I think, and I think that they keep starting earlier, and you keep butting yourself up into into matchups that, like you said, like, the, you know, some of the, you know... If, Duke and Kentucky should be the only thing we're talking about on the podcast. Duke has essentially... Yeah. Four McDonald's yep. All-Americans, including... They right. have, like, three lottery picks. Freshmen. They have more McDonald's All-Americans than there are McDonald's in Durham. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably not. And but that's no one's paying attention. Yeah. Because people are so engaged in everything else. It's the same thing with the NBA season. The NBA should start on Christmas Day mm. and go into the summer where their only competition is baseball. baseball and it's early season baseball and they can crush them in ratings but, rather than go up against the NFL. And in, in our scenario, Dave, I would then dial baseball back and start the playoffs September 1st. Start the baseball playoffs. Yes. Or, or middle of September. When do they start now? The playoffs start in October. So you take about 10 or 15 games away and you move the season back a little bit. Not starting it earlier, but ending it earlier. Right, but if you have fewer games, that's less revenue. That's not my problem. <laughs> no, I just... I, <laughs> but I'm thinking from a fan interest. Yeah, well, there should be fewer baseball games. There are too many games, but they, they make too much money for a home game. No, that's not going to happen from a revenue standpoint, but we're talking kind of... Yeah, but like I think the NBA could start on... Christmas Day and make more money because in the playoffs you'd have no competition at the beginning of the year you wouldn't be competing against the NFL. I think college basketball. All right. Could so now move. you're so, but in your model, if you kept the games the same and you start December as opposed to November, uh, you're looking at finishing in the middle of July. Great. You're competing against baseball, which no one starts picking up till the trade deadline anyway. But I'm but I'm thinking uh, your TV watching over the summer goes down. That's true, but I have a hard time believing that people aren't going to watch uh, Steph Curry and LeBron no matter we'll when still they're watch playing. Them. We'll still watch that, but maybe they won't watch you know some of the other earlier rounds. I don't know. I think the playoffs get pretty good ratings whenever they are. There's certainly no shortage of people watching the Masters. That's over the summer. There's no shortage of people watching the Olympics. The Masters? That's over the summer. The Masters is in... Uh, yeah, okay. There's no shortage of people watching um, the World Cup when that's on. That's, that's a bonanza. True. That's true. That is true. 
going back to the college football, though. Yes. Did you have a chance to watch Alabama and LSU? Yeah, we had that game on, uh, also watching a little bit of that Northwestern Notre Dame game. I mean, Alabama's just. Well, that's a the question. Yeah. I mean, is the college football season irrelevant because they're that much better than everyone? I think you're still playing for the hope that, you know, and it's hard to call a Power 5 team a Cinderella, but, I mean, it's almost like if, you know, if Notre Dame makes it into the title game and beats Auburn, or beats Alabama, I mean, that's a huge upset. Yeah. That, um, no, no question. I mean, the only team that the analytics people think is anywhere remotely close is Clemson. And, right. and, and maybe they are. Um, I mean, it's crazy to think, like, two of the biggest games in college football over the next couple of weeks are Clemson at Boston College yeah. and Notre Dame and Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. I mean, like, what era are we in when there are big games taking place in New England and in New York in but college football? That's the old Big East. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. But Alabama... Like, the weakness seems to be the place kicker. Yeah. Like, but they basically never they have an important right. kicker kick anyway. I, I also think J.K. Scott, their punter, I'm pretty sure he was an All-American kicker in high school. I'm not mm. sure why you don't try that Yeah, try out. him out there. Yeah. But uh, e- either way, um, well, they, you gotta be they pretty just happy. look unbelievable. I know you're not a, you went to Syracuse. You're not a Syracuse homer, but you got to be pretty happy with Dino Babers and what they're doing up there. Yeah, I mean, they, they're, they're ranked in the top 15 for the first time in almost 20 does years. Does he stay at Syracuse, or does somebody gobble him up? It's a great question. When Pete Thamel uh, has been putting out his articles in the last few weeks about coaching candidates for jobs that are either open or are going to open, his name has been on a couple of those. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it comes back to what do you think that job is? Do you think you can be a perennial national contender at Syracuse, or do you think that job becomes a lot easier somewhere else? Because most people are ambitious and want to compete to win the national title. Or is Syracuse, you know, like a, like a Boston College, or you know, one of these teams that's cyclically good, like a Duke, like well, Duke recently, cyclically good in the sense of they're good for three or four years, and they kind of fade for a little bit, and then they come back. You know, are they in that cycle? Because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the the top 10, top 15, top 20 doesn't really change too much. It's, you know, it's from maybe 15 to 20 on down to maybe 40 that you see some, some churn. And now I think what's interesting is you're starting to see some of the non-Power 5 schools like the UCFs flexing their muscles. I mean, I don't know. Do we do we buy Cincinnati yet? I mean, you know, do, going back. I think they back, lost to Temple, didn't they? No, they beat Temple, didn't they? Did they beat Temple? Yeah, I think they came back. That's the other problem with college football. If you're not in the top 10, it's irrelevant. So, like, those results, like, we don't even know who won a game between a team that we're talking about. Like, could they be something? Like, like that's the problem. College football is great, except for the fact before the season begins, half of the teams are eliminated. Like, there's no chance for App State, even if they have an unbelievable year, to compete for the national championship. As good as Boise State has been over the last 20 years, they never get to play for the national championship. And that's the reason you have to have the eight-team playoff. No, you're right. Temple Temple did beat them in overtime. Right. I forgot about that. But, But no one noticed. Right. Yeah. I mean, the second best team in that conference might be Houston, and they're not even in the ranks. Right. right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's problematic. College, college football has a problematic system. But 
I think it will get fixed because there's so much money in the playoff. Now, let no, me ask you this. No, hold on. Before you do that, I mean, but it, 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 college football kind of mirrors society, right? I mean, you have the 1%. Like, the, a lot of wealth is at the 1%, and then there's everybody else. I guess that's true. But to me, college football's problem is what sport isn't decided on the field. I mean, college basketball, you bracket 68 teams. The NFL, you end up with 12 playoff teams. The NBA and NHL, you have 16 playoff teams. Baseball's got the one-game playoff, which has been great. Right. And then your your normal uh, division series, NLCS, ALCS, and World Series. And in college football, even though you now have a playoff, which is a great start, you still have half the country that doesn't get to compete. Now, I agree with you, but let me throw devil's advocate at you for a minute. Because let's say UCF runs the table. And doesn't get in. And, or let's let's say they do get in. But they're not going to. No, no, but let, let me, hear me out. Don't cut me off. Let's say in a, in a, in a, in a perfect world, UCF gets in there. Or even, okay, let me do this. Let's say it's two years from now, same same scenario. And let's say, or whenever the contract's up, they, they change the scenario and they say, all right, we're going to go to eight, we're going to leave a spot in for a couple of non-Power Fives, maybe one, maybe two, however you want to do it, right? Do you, if, if UCF is in their best form, plays a, in their best form or a very good Alabama, if they played 100 times, how many times is Alabama going to win? Same thing as UMBC playing Virginia. Number 16 seed's going to lose, 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 lose by 50, lose by 60, yada, yada, yada. You know what? Eventually, eventually, Cinderella is going to win, and it becomes the greatest moment in the history of the sport. But you know where I think it's different is you could have, with I think with basketball having only five players on the floor and 12 guys, 15 guys total on your roster, whereas football you're having 70, 80. If you're in Alabama, you can stockpile more talent. And so you can just I agree, continue. but we've seen Boise State win major bowl games multiple times. It's going to happen eventually. If UCF plays Alabama, Alabama's legitimately going to be like a 35-point yeah, favorite. Right. And maybe they're the side to play. That's not the point. You're either inclusive or you're not. And to leave out UCF means you're leaving out 50 or 60 teams. There's no Cinderella. There's no window. There's no opportunity. That's BS. And I don't like this. That's fraudulent. I don't like this either, but does it beg the question of, and what you and I have heard rumblings about this over the last couple of years. I mean, is there a point where maybe the Power Five just splits off or maybe? Well, they certainly want to keep all the money. Yeah, yeah. I think the NCAA tournament, to a large degree, is ruined if you don't have the Winthrop's and the UMBC's Absolutely. and the Butler's yes. and, right. and and right. those schools, right. the Valparaisos. Right, but I don't know. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see. Eventually, it's going to go to eight. I'm pretty sure, and uh, I think that'll be a really, really good thing. And I think the system now is better than it used to be. Right. And maybe Alabama is just so much better. It doesn't matter. One last question for you, though. My dad has lived in the San Francisco Bay Area since moving from Pennsylvania in the late 70s. And his brother's 70th birthday is in January. Yeah. His brother lives uh, right by Stanford University down right. on the peninsula. And this year's college football championship game is in Santa Clara, about 25 minutes from where my uncle lives. And my dad was hoping for his 70th birthday to take my uncle to the national championship game. Oh, wow. So we had 
our entire family enter the lottery to win two tickets to the game. We probably had 10 or 12 entries. And apparently trying to get a ticket to the championship game is similar to getting tickets to the Masters. You can enter the lottery, but nobody right. ever wins. wins. So nobody won. And we were looking online last night for tickets, yeah. just seeing how much they are. Right. And they basically started $1,000 a ticket. Wow. And the question is... But that's like going to a Super Bowl. Right. So what price is it worth to see something that... I mean, my uncle's not traveling to wherever else they're right. going to hold the championship. Right, right. So it's not so, like this added cost right. involved. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll cycle back and be back in the Bay Area in... 10 years and he'll be 80 and he'll be healthy enough to go and want to go right, and right, win right, the lottery. Right. I, I don't know. But right now, we know the only national championship game that's going to be played in that area is coming up in January. And maybe the teams matter from a certain teams might bring more fans so ticket prices could go sure, up. Sure. Other teams, you know, if UCF somehow got into it and they're not going to, maybe they have a smaller fan base, ticket prices go down. But $1,000 to see the national championship game or to see the Super Bowl or I'll tell you the most I ever paid to see an event. The year the Warriors, the first year the Warriors were in the NBA Finals and they hadn't been good forever and ever and ever and LeBron was coming to Oakland, I took my dad and spent a small fortune yeah. to go see a Warriors NBA championship game. And I kind of thought it clicked off a few bucket list things. I wanted to go to an NBA Finals game. I wanted to see LeBron James in person. Right. And I wanted to see the Warriors win the championship for the first time in 40 years. And all of that happened. And now I can say I've done it. And I've done a lot of things. I've been to the World Series. I've been to the Stanley Cup Finals. I've been to the Final Four. I have never been to the college football championship no, game. No, Is that something at some point in your life you want to do? I think that would be maybe a bucket list thing to do with John when he's yeah, a little bit older. Right. You know? So you can't do everything. I've been to four major golf tournaments, and I've been to three of the major four tennis championships. And I've been really, really fortunate and lucky to be able to do things. And having a wife that's a commercial airline pilot and flying around for free <laughs> well, helps. makes makes a big deal. And working in media and sometimes having yeah. an advantage to getting tickets helps out. But would you pay $1,000 for a once-in-a-lifetime to see the college football national championship? Or would you say, you know what, I, I'll watch Herb Strait and Fowler do that on TV? For me, it would come down to, and this is where the price would jump, is... It would be more school-based as opposed to just just seeing two random schools. So for me, it would probably be uh, if we became involved with a school that we really wanted to see them and, and spend the money on that. Now, I don't know that I'd spend that kind of money just to roll the dice and see whoever's going to be there. What would you pay top dollar for? What is that event out there? Nicole and I went to the Olympics. It cost a fortune. It was amazing, unbelievable, one of the great things I've ever done. I'll never go again. I'm not writing that check a second time, but one time it was incredible. Alright, my buddy Brian Gazarowski is going to love this, because I don't like paying for tickets. It's just, and I don't know if it's not So the answer is none of the above. The answer is, no, I mean, we um, you know, we uh, we bought tickets, I think, on StubHub for a Red Sox game last year. I took John up. We did the Red Sox and the Patriots. I, I actually bought, uh, I bought, I got tickets through the Panthers, so I didn't have, you know, I, I got a you know, face value, and then the Red Sox tickets, I think we got either face value or a little bit less, 
I mean, it's tough to say because when you throw in going with John or going with Sam, if they want to go, then then we have to think about, all right, we're going to spend money. If it's just me, I either try to get a media pass or hopefully I'm, I'm lucky enough to work for a team or a school that, that goes there. But, in, but being in the real world, I would probably have to say um, – we weren't in a position to do this this year. I probably would have paid a lot of money if we had the time to do the Red Sox and Dodgers in LA. Okay. I would have spent money for that. Yeah. I want to go to the World Cup, and it's coming back here, so it'll be really easy now, to do. The other one I do want to do that I, I would spend money on this, uh, I want to see the British Open. Yep. Or the Open. Yeah. That's not even that expensive. The expense there no, is flying, getting there. Getting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting there in hotels and stuff, because I got face value tickets to that. They're... they're I wouldn't say readily available, but you enter the lottery and you can get them. Now, I will say this, Dave, uh, as far as Super Bowls go, because I've done both. I've, I've gone on the company dime and I've gone where I've, I've foot the bill. Um, it's 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 worth it if you don't mind laying out the cash. Uh, the, but the suggestion I have is uh, make sure you do some due diligence ahead of time and whatever angles and ends you have to get into some of the bigger parties. Because that's what makes it fun is when you're, you know, you're at like the... I don't know if it's still a thing, but like the Sports Illustrated party uh, and the NFL commissioners party is always... But that's like going to the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. You know, I'm an avid horse racing fan. The Breeders' Cup was this weekend and it was not a great Breeders' Cup classic field, yada, yada, yada. But going to the Derby is, is two-pronged. It's going to the race and all of that and dressing up, but it's also all of the event, events right. surrounding. Right. And that, that's kind of what makes big events cool. Right. It's not just the game. There's more going on. Right. No, but when it comes to my son, that's that's my that's my Achilles heel when it comes to shelling out money for tickets. Because if he wants to go, and I want to have that experience with him, um, you, you know, it's you know, like that trip we did last year. I'll never forget it. it was like we, we had a we had a blast, and you know, we'll continue to do stuff like that. All right, that's the Bearded Carcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, sponsorships, get a hold of us on social media at Bearded Carcast or beardedcarcast at outlook.com episode one season two in the books but on our next episode we'll talk about what this trip to Vanderbilt was like I'm really excited to go to the game to see that unique venue I'm really excited to kind of taste the music city and Ryman Auditorium and and feel Nashville. It's one of those cities a lot like Charleston that that has a great reputation. I've spent a little bit of time there, but not a ton. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I've never been to Ryman Auditorium, so I'm excited for that. Excited. We're for gonna the food. see Bob Weir Bob tonight, Weir. who is yeah. in the Grateful the Dead. Grateful Dead. That, that that's that's something that's gonna be special. We'll have to do our uh, our Bill Walton impersonation. Well, I brought a tie dye shirt. I, I don't own a tie dye shirt. I'm gonna go. That's with, a you problem. That's, <laughs> I'm going real preppy. Maybe we'll find one. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll find like one. Like I like it. All right. Till next time. He's Dave. I'm Mike. Thanks for listening.